This, uh, there we go. All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Firehouse. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, thanks, uh, thanks, Lauren team. Good there. All right. Oh, that's Alan. Okay. Um, anyways, let's see here. Before we get started, I just want to maybe a few comments or uh, something about the moving day yesterday. How many of you got to be a part of uh, moving the Albert Day yesterday? We have probably one of the most active uh, moving ministries in the whole city, I think. We, uh, we get after it and get people moved quickly, in and out, nobody gets hurt. Um, but uh, anyways, I appreciate it. One of the things I really appreciate it, oops, I think I pushed the button the wrong way. Right. One of the things I appreciated about the moving day yesterday is that um, the Albers were very, uh, they had pre-packed, they had things in boxes, their boxes were well labeled, and they, and they weren't just labeled with information, they were they were labeled personally, they had some real nice personal comments on the boxes, you know, sometimes you see boxes that say kitchen and bathroom and vagile and things like that, um, but, uh, but they had some that I thought were cool, like one of them was, uh, one of them I think it said heavy, and then it said book. And then on the side it said, sorry, with a little smiley face on it, you know. And I, I thought it was real sweet of Brad to put that in there. That was, um, the other one was, uh, the, one of the, my favorite boxes was the one that was big and really heavy. And it said something on it like, don't be a hero, get two people to carry this box. And so, uh, and, and just for the record, we have two heroes among us now. So, we both carried the box on their own. One loaded it by themselves, one unloaded it. But Rob and Alan are our heroes among us here. So, you guys, glad everyone's okay. No workman comp uh, claims here or anything. So, but anyways, I, I thought it went well. It was fun. Thank you guys for even buying the bagels and stuff like that, too. So, yeah, it was, it was a good time. So, anyways, if you ever need to move anyone, if you're in the market for moving, let us know. And, uh, we will get our forces out, out after that. So, anyways, we're going to pray and we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter eight today. So, uh, I'm just going to kind of pray and we'll commit our time here and we'll get going with that. Let's get this timer going, just to, just in case. All right. Um, well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the time just to come together and experience fellowship with one another and with you and to worship you. And um, Lord, I just pray for the rest of our time together that we would hear from you. God, I pray that you'd give each one of us hearts that are receptive and responsive to what you would have us here today. That as we, um, as we look at your word, your word is living and active, but Lord, sometimes we aren't so living and active. And, uh, I just pray that you would um, open up our hearts to hear, to understand, um, to find wonderful things in your word today. And we just pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are um, plugging through the book of Nehemiah right now. And in some ways it relates a little bit to our uh, building campaign. We're getting ready. The Lord willing, we will be building soon or we will be, uh, I don't know, renovating soon. We're not building necessarily. But... um, it's been fun going through the team orientations there. How many of you enjoyed your orientation so far? All right. How many of you were overwhelmed by your orientation? Uh, a lot of painting to do. Um, I liked it. I heard that the, the restroom team, is that right? The restroom team today, I think, are taking field trips to examine restrooms throughout the city or something like that. So that'll be, we're going to have some of the most friendly restrooms you will experience. So uh, at least we hope by the time it's done there. Um, but anyways, this a lot of the things 
things from Nehemiah, uh, at least up to this point in the book of Nehemiah, had a lot to do with construction and building the wall and working together and all sorts of uh, you know lessons we could take from that. But this one I think is a little bit different here. Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you do have a house Bible with you or your own Bible, um, if you turn there with me, we're just going to read chapter 8 together. It's in page 479. And there should be a Bible under your chair or nearby or something there. But page 479. Nehemiah chapter 8. And let's see. We've got about, it's only 18 verses long. Not too bad. There are a few sections with a lot of names that I'm probably going to butcher, so don't take it personally. Um, But anyways, what I'd like to do when we read this today is actually there's an example in here that I'd like to apply just as we read this passage together, um, just as uh, Ezra had had it done um, back when this this was uh, actually you know being lived out. But I'm going to ask before we read this if you guys would all rise just to read this together. And um, sometimes standing is a form of honor. You stand in the presence of of the aged and different things like that. But we're going to stand in the presence of God's word here this morning and read this and. Uh, and then we'll just look at a few things we can apply to our lives today. But So, Ezra chapter 8, verse 1. Um, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and um, others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right side stood a bunch of folks. Um, let's see here. I'll go down to the next verse. Uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he op- and as he opened it, the people all stood. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites uh, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, uh, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which had been commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. 
So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company had returned from exile. Um, the whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the, reg- with the regulation, there was an assembly. All right, well, you can be seated now. Anyways, there's a lot of, uh, obviously, a lot of good things here, uh, a lot of uh, things we could apply or check out. We just have a few that we're going to look at this morning. And really, one of the themes that, that struck me that, you know, that I want to share about this morning is just the theme of... Uh, Kind of something that God was doing. You know, uh, the temple was put in place. Ezra had come and had the temple in place and uh, acts of worship and offerings were going on. And then Nehemiah came and he had the walls and the gates around the city put in place and the city was protected and it's, uh, it was kind of redeveloping a name for itself again because it had been in disgrace. But this chapter really talks a little more about, I think, the heart of the people. And really what you're looking at here, what has been recorded you know, in God's Word from history is... Really, there was a, a revival that was going on here, an awakening of God's people to God, through God's Word um, to the God who had been communicating to them. And in some ways, I think through their exile, they were in captivity for a while, and they were coming back into Jerusalem. And I think along the way, they kind of lost a little about who they were. And they knew where they were supposed to be, and they knew they weren't there. But God brought them back to where they were supposed to be. But even in that... Uh, I think God needed to bring about an awakening in their hearts um, to bring back His His joy and His blessing in their lives. And so we really get to see a snapshot of that. And my hope is just to, to find just a handful of things that we can apply from, from their awakening to one that might encourage us in ours here today. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I want to ask the question of how many of you, how many of you right now in your lives have... Too much joy going on in your lives. How, how many of you cannot use another ounce of encouragement because you just you're just full? Anyone? Because if you raise your hand, well, I'll just ask you to leave because it's not going to help you. But um, just for anyone who could use a little more joy in your life, a little more maybe awakening in your relationship with God, maybe a little more blessing. Um, there's some things here that I think God has for us this morning, and and we're just going to look at, at five examples from from uh, chapter eight here. And the first one. We're going to look at comes from really comes from this this first section here. It says, um, you know, early on in the chapter, it just says they basically told Ezra, "Hey, Ezra, let's get the Bible out." You know, back then it only had five books that were, uh, you know, that they were referring to here, the, the first five books of the Bible as we know it. And um, but they said, you know, Ezra, why don't we get together? Why don't we read? And so he brought the law, and then he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. You know, daybreak, let's just say, I don't know, the sun this morning seemed like it was coming up like 5.30. I don't know. It was shining early on because our kids were up as well. But um, um, but can you imagine if we said, hey, guys, next next Sunday, we're just going to all meet together at 6 a.m. right here, bring your Bible, and we're just going to read the Bible together for six hours. How's that sound? You know, anyone? I don't think anyone has had that idea. I don't have that idea. Um, we're probably not going to do that. But they, they wanted to... Um, 
hear from God. They wanted to get some exposure to God's word, and so and so they gathered together. You know, uh, uh, another section there later in the chapter just talked about how the next day uh, the the leaders of households came together, and then you know one of the last verses in the whole thing just says day after day from the first day to the last Ezra read from the book of the law, and I think there's an awesome example for us. If you want to get more joy, more blessing, more reality of God in your life, you know, I think we we could all grow from just exposing ourselves more to God's Word. We need to expose ourselves to His Word. Um, Seek more exposure to God's Word. You know, it's kind of like just uh, putting ourselves in the presence of God's Word and letting it work on us. It's Many times we get out and work in our yards and get in the sunlight there. We get exposed to the sun. We get a sunburn. But these guys are making a choice to expose themselves to God's Word and to let it work on them. And uh, it wasn't like Ezra said, okay, you guys, I know you're going to hate this idea. Let's get together early in the morning. It seems like the people were hungry. They had a craving to connect with God through His Word to be revived in their relationship with Him. And um, You know, there's a couple things I, I think from the New Testament that can help us with this. I don't know about you, but when I was a young Christian, one of the trademarks, I think one of the things that was going on in my life at the time was I just wanted to know more about God. I just wanted to read the Bible. Whatever was going on, somehow I had a Bible with me, always. You know, it's like I might as well have one of those chains like Ned has, or a chain with a keychain attached to my Bible, because I had it with me all the time. And I pulled it out, and I was working full-time at Hewlett-Packard at the time, and I read my Bible on break. I read it before I went to work. I read when I was going to bed at night and there was just a hunger that I had as a young believer that um, you know I don't know if I've been that hungry for the word since those days and yet you know most of us would testify to the fact that when you get around a a new Christian someone who's just really in love with God and on fire for God you just go what's going on in their lives I want to be around them they're like uh, God's answering all their prayers they're seeing you know God in so many different situations and um, but I think sometimes we want those results without, without doing the things that sometimes a young believer is doing uh, very passionately and um, authentically, you know. And so I think um, we need to get back to some of the basics here. This passage you might remember where Jesus said, hey, you guys have been doing great. You've been working hard. You've been persevering. You've been doing all sorts of good things. But one thing you're missing is you've... uh, You've forsaken your first love. You're not in love with the Lord like you used to be. And what did he tell him to do? Get back to those things you did at first. And for me, I just go, that's getting back to consuming the Word, getting exposing myself to the Word as much as possible. I just remember that was, I, I, just, I, I knew the idea that God's Word was going to impact me, and so I wanted to saturate myself with it. And I just did some dumb things. I read the Bible all the time. That, that wasn't dumb. Um, I got on the Internet. Um, back then, the Internet was just getting going, but I found Bible Gateway and I could pull up Proverbs you know and I could just take a quick break and read a chapter of Proverbs whatever was going on that day but also went out and bought the New Testament on CD and uh, the CDs you know if you know the format is not quite as uh, condensed as MP3 formats nowadays so I, you know there was like I don't know 27 CDs or something for that but I had CDs and I put them in my car I had a cool sporty little car and I put Bible CDs in there and then at night when I go to bed I go God's word can work on me I'm going to put a CD in when I go to sleep and I went to bed and you know I just had this repeating in the background I was like you know there's all sorts of psychology that says you can absorb things even in your 
subconscious while you're sleeping. I thought, might as well be programming myself with God's Word. And I just got saturated with it. And, you know, it had some funky parts, and it was a dramatized version of the New Testament. So there was a few scenes like Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan, and, you know, had his voice that was like, you know, bow down and worship. You know, you know I'd wake up just kind of going, whoa, what's going on there? But I, the point was, I just wanted to get exposed as much as I possibly could to God's Word. And, and that's what they were doing here when God revived their lives and their walks and their joy. And I think if you want to experience more revival, more joy in your life, we're going to have to just make choices to expose yourself more to His Word. You know, First Peter 2.2, 2, sometimes it's a verse that um, you know we think about as a baby Christian. You know, it says that, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. But I think sometimes we read that and we go, when you're a baby Christian, you should really crave God's Word because you need it. But it doesn't say that. Peter's writing to other Christians and he's saying, hey, you Christian, you know, like a baby really is hungry for milk, you need to be hungry for God's Word. He didn't say if you're a baby Christian. He said... Crave pure spiritual milk like babies crave milk, like newborns, you know. And and I think we need to catch that attitude and we need to crave it. We need to long for it. We can crave so many different things, but um, we need to crave His Word. Another one, you know, most of you know Romans, or many of you might know Romans 12 too. It just talks about, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we need to be constantly renewing our mind with God's truth. Because this world is, you're getting exposures to things, whether you like it or not, you're getting exposure to selfish, uh, unrighteous, unholy, worldly thinking. Every day you're getting bombarded by it, whether you signed up for it or not. It's, it's you know, the, the world is just advertising and marketing to you to put yourself first today. And you need to reprogram every day. Just, we got to fight off the, the bad data that we're getting and replace it with God's life-transforming good data here, but we've got to do that deliberately, just like these guys did. So that's, that's the first point we're going to talk about. Seek more exposure to God. God's word. The next one we're going to look at here is just um, how they received God's word when they read it. I love this passage here. It just says, "All the people listened attentively to the book of the law." Then it goes on to say later, "The people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law." And then later on, it just says they gathered around Ezra to give attention to the words of the law. And you know, I don't know about you, but. To describe a situation where, say we got sat down, say Ezra said, hey guys, let's sit down and read the Bible from morning till noon. I don't know if listening attentively would describe me or you after, boy, after one hour, I'd be checked out. You know, I, I wouldn't have the capacity, but two, three, four. But said these people were standing, listening attentively to God's Word. It wasn't Ezra being cool. It wasn't Ezra with his great oration or oratory skills. It was Ezra reading God's Word, and they listened attentively. Even when they were listening to God's Word, some of them were weeping. They were hearing what God was saying about how to have a relationship with Him things that would grieve him, things that would bless him. And they were weeping because they knew where they were as it related to that. And, you know, I think the point to us is that we need to have soft and sensitive hearts to God's Word. Soft and sensitive hearts to God's Word. There's a psalm I just read recently in 119 that has a section that says, talking about some people, it says their hearts were hard and callous. Hard-hearted, unbelieving, and callous, unfeeling. And we need to make sure ours is the opposite, that it's soft, that it's sensitive to God's Word. Um, 
You know, one of the things I think about is just the parable of the sower, where Jesus talked about when God's word goes out, it's like a, a farmer that's sowing seed. And I'm just kidding. if you want to turn there with me, you can sure feel free to. It's Luke chapter eight, um, page uh, page eight oh four and. Bible from my house. Um, not going to help you. But anyways, uh, chapter 8, verse 11 through 15. I just want to share with you, he explained the parable of the sower and how God's Word goes out and it gets different responses. And um, just want to think about your heart here and, and what, how you might respond to God's Word as of late. But it says this as he's explaining it. He says, um, Luke 8, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. Uh, those along the path are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes along and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on, the, um, those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but the time of test- in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns sounds for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. But Jesus just talked about when when any one of us are exposed to God's word. You know, sometimes this is you know some people can say, well, that's about salvation. When you hear it about salvation, and these are the different options. But I think if you look at all these passages, uh, it talks about the Word of God as it relates to salvation, but it talks about the Word of God in general. Anytime you hear God's Word, you're going to have, according to Jesus' parable, you're going to have one of four different responses. The first one is this hard heart. It's an unbelieving heart. It says the devil comes along, our hearts can be hard and unbelieving. Either we don't think it's God's Word, or we don't think we need to do it, or whatever it is, we don't do it. Um, And it, it bears no fruit. The other one is we can have a superficial response. Maybe we go, maybe it's just we want to look good. We want to have put on a good show. Yeah, I heard that. I thought that was awesome. I'm going to so do that. And then we leave and whatever word, whatever seed was planted there just fades away. You know, it's kind of for a moment it stuck with us. And then it, it withers and wilts and, and has no real roots. Another way we can do it is just we're getting the, the Word of God sown in our hearts, whether it's Sunday mornings or Wednesdays at, at house church or, you know, whenever you're exposed to the Word. We can have a distracted heart. I'm sitting down for my quiet time. I'm right here in front of my Bible, but my heart is going through my to-do list. I'm already checking it off um, at work there, but my body's still here in front of the Bible. And he talks about things that could choke, uh, you know, the potential of God's Word in our life, like worries. Are you, are you, is God's Word getting choked out by worries in your life or by riches, um, the deceitfulness of wealth, another puts it, or by pleasures? But whatever it is, God's Word can be sown and then it can be choked in our lives and bring about no life-transforming results at all. And then the last one is... Um, just a, a heart where the seed is planted and it brings about change. It brings about God's desired result. It, it is fruitful. Uh, it matures when it lands in a good heart. And so every time you, you expose yourself to God's Word, you know, one of the questions that we can ask ourselves, one I feel like God's been having me ask myself lately, is, is this. I'm sitting down to read and I've been asking, Lord, is my heart good soil today? Is it good soil today? You know, we may say, yeah, when I was a new believer, sure, I was so teachable, anything. I was like a sponge. I soaked it all up. Um, But is your heart good soil today? 
when you're sitting down with your Bible or is it distracted? Is it busy? Is it thinking about how you're going to get pleasure out of life today for yourself? Is it unbelieving today? Every time you're exposed to the Word, it needs to, your heart needs to be soft and sensitive. And you got to, I think you can join me in just asking yourself, is my heart good soul today for what I'm going to read? Is it going to touch me? Is my heart going to be responsive? Now, sometimes I think of God's Word, it's, it's active, it's living. It could be like one of those uh, defibrillator machines, you know? It's kind of like you, you hook up to it and you pull the shock on it. And the question is, is there going to be a response on the other side? Is there going to be a heartbeat or not? And you've got to decide that. That's something they had a heartbeat, obviously. They were weeping when they heard the words of God read to them. And, you know, has your heart been soft and sensitive recently? And I hope we can all pray that it would be. Um, the next thing we're going to look at here is um, this section about Ezra opening up the book. And um, we're just going to talk about they had a reverence for God's Word. And just look at how they responded to God's Word. As Ezra opened the book, all the people could see because he was standing above them. Um, and as he opened it, all the people stood up. He's opening the Bible and, and people just started to stand up. You know, why did they do that? Because they had a respect, they had an honor for the Word of God. God's words are about to be read here. I should give it special attention. You know, the Bible talks about other situations that you're supposed to stand up in the presence of the, the elderly. It says, show them honor. Stand up in their presence. This, they stood up in the presence of God to honor His words. And, um, you know, I think that's a good attitude to catch. And then they went on, you know, they went from standing up to on their faces worshiping God. You know, I'll be honest with you, between me and between you guys, I don't think we get anywhere close to this, you know. Um, we stand up, and I'm telling you, okay, we're going to have you stand up, we're going to read this together. It's kind of different. Um, but what if I said, well, let's fall on our faces, everybody, and let's worship God who spoke to us through this word. You know, that's probably a step beyond where any of us are. But, but that's where they were. They had a reverence for God's word, and we need to cultivate that in our lives. And... You know, cultivating, I mean, that's something we can grow. It's something we can uh, develop. It's not like, well, I don't have a reverence. Uh, I guess I'm, that's too bad for me. But we can grow that attitude. We can, and one of the ways to do that is, is through God's Word. Here's a couple verses that might help us in some of that. One of the ways to have a reverence for God's Word is to remember that it is God's Word. It really is. These are the very words of God. He revealed His thoughts to us through the Bible. Do you treat it accordingly? Um, this says, All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's God breathed. What you have before you, we take it for granted. We're going into to Asia and China as well, somewhere or another in China. Um, but there's places where the Bible is hard to come by. There's places we cannot take a Bible there. But for us, we're so like, oh, I got a Bible, I got about 20 of them at home, no big deal. I got half of the house Bibles at home that I need to turn back here, actually. Um, but, but we need to have a, a sense that this is really God's communication to me, and it should somehow affect me when I, when I come before it. I should approach it with reverence, with awe. Um, this one here, another one. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing between soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word is living. It's active. It's not just history. Sure, it contains history. It's not just poetry or whatever. God's Word is living. He can meet you and your life today through this book. He really can. Do you believe that? Another one here. I like this one. It's just uh, 
how uh, one place where they, they brought the words of God and here's how they responded in, in the city of Thessalonica and maybe how we could grow in our response to we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Do you think of this as, as God's word that is above any other writing, any other author, any other material you can get on this planet? Or have you kind of, um, out of irreverence, lowered it down to... Well, a lot of good authors that say things about the Bible. You know, I think they, they have a lot to say too. Or there's a lot of other spiritual writings out there. Why does the Bible have to stand out above them all? Because God said it should. It is the Word of God. And it works on you. It changes you. It's meant to transform you. If you would believe that. That's what His Word is designed to do. I, I read a quote recently that I love. It, it said this. Um, it said, um, the spy guy Joseph Parker... I don't know who he is, but I like this quote. Um, this comes out in the weekly uh, email that our Association of Churches sends out. But uh, it says this, it says, After reading the doctrines of Plato, Socrates, or Aristotle, we feel the specific difference between their words and Christ is the difference between an inquiry and a, a revelation. He's saying when we're exposed to the thoughts, the doctrines of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, and the words of Christ, you know what the difference is? One is an inquiry. It's asking questions, trying to figure things out. And one is a revelation. One is the thoughts of God on life. And the other is oh, a lot of philosophers, a lot of people ask a lot of good questions. That's great. And they get, you know, they get published and whatnot. They're in books and we study them in classes. Um, but Jesus wasn't just asking questions. He was actually revealing to us answers from God himself. And what do you think of you know, authors or other books out there? Do you, you know, I hope you distinguish the difference between revelation from God and everything else. You know, an inquiry at best. Um, another good verse here this one I read recently as I was going through Psalm 119 and I'm excited if you're in the one year Bible I think we started Psalm 119 today and it goes forever I think but um, the whole psalm has to do with being revived uh, in your relationship with God through God's word the whole thing is about God's commands His promises his, and how you can meditate on them how you can apply them how they affect you the whole thing is really on revival and awakening through God's word but I love this one in the NAS I was reading the other day and it says this Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. You know, that's one to chew on for a little bit. It's pretty meaty, but um, his, the prayer there is the prayer that we can all pray. You want to grow in your reverence? We'll start praying this. Lord, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence of you. Many times we go, you know, I got my Bible, I got my bowl of cereal, and I get on with life, and I get on to checking out the blogs, checking out the news, checking out the... But what if we had this attitude, Lord, Lord, frighten me today about Yourself through Your Word. Give me something that blows my mind about You today and Your reality um, that... Again, it produces a reverence for you. I think we could all grow in that. But, but these guys had it. They bowed down. They uh, stood in the presence. I don't know how long they stood, but it looks like they stood for six hours while God's Word was being read. I mean, we got a little work to do. I mean, that's Old Testament. That's, that's before Christ. And, and what are we doing nowadays? I think we got a lot we can learn, you know, related to reverence of God's Word here. Um, so cultivate that reverence for God. What we're doing here. The next one here is um, 
they read from the book of the, the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people could understand what was being read. A couple of verses later, it just talks about they understood what was being read and uh, they had great joy. They're like, whoa, I get it. Wow, they read that to me. I get it. And, and this is awesome. Um, but the point that I'm going to make here is that we need to seek to correctly understand the Bible. You know, in their situation, God had placed people there, Ezra and uh, the Levites, and there were people whose specific job was to teach them how to properly understand the words of God. That was their job. That's what He placed them there for. And and we need to seek to correctly understand the Word of God ourselves, the Bible. Um, You know, I want to start off here. I want to talk about something. There's something that drives me absolutely bonkers sometimes when I talk to people about the Bible. Maybe it's on campus. Maybe, uh, hopefully it's never in a small group. But um, I talk to people about the Bible and I say, ah, the Bible is just, you know, it just depends how you interpret that. It's just, uh, there's so many different interpretations of that. And they kind of just write it off because it's so many different interpretations. And I want to just go bonkers sometimes. I'm going to try to keep calm here this morning. But um, when people say there's so many interpretations, I want to go... Okay, you're right. There's a lot of interpretations. And most of them are just plain stupid. You know, there's a lot of interpretations. It's kind of like, where else can you go? Imagine if you're in your classroom, your math classroom. I think about higher education physics there, your graduate school physics. Imagine if you went to your professor and you go, yeah, you know, you counted me wrong on this answer. Um, and he said, yeah, well, you, you didn't get that right. Um, that, the equation didn't crank out right. Yeah, but my interpretation was that, you know, ones look a lot like sevens. And so everywhere there's sevens, I put ones. And I interpret that as being right. You know, your professor would say, you are out of your mind. You know, um, or in flight school here, you're working to be a pilot. And you say, well, my interpretation of this is, and they just go, no, you're wrong. Um, or I think other application might even more closely apply to Bible Spanish classes. What if you're in a Spanish class? Some of you Spanish classes. I know there's a few out there. What if we're in a Spanish class? You know, I'm taking a Spanish class and they're saying, um, so write down what this phrase translates to, you know, queota es. Um, and so you're supposed to write down, what does that translate to in English? And, you know, and I kind of jot down my thing. I give it to the teacher and they say, oh, sorry, you're wrong. I was like, what? That's my interpretation of what it says there. You know, it's kind of queota es. K kind of means what or something. And oda, to me, that sounds a lot like odor, you know. Um, queota es. To me, this, this, this means, what is that smell? Queota es. And, you know, in the, in the Spanish teacher be like, no, you're wrong. Your interpretation is wrong. Um, but but so many times in life, people think that's how the Bible works. Any other class, a professor would tell you, F, wrong. You know, they don't even shy away as Christians. Sometimes they go, oh yeah, you do have your own interpretation. Boy, I didn't mean to step on your toes. You know what? Um, men and women, the, the Bible, especially modern translations, have you know all the experts in uh, the Greek language and Hebrew language and Bible scholars. They're the ones that are on the committees that translate the Bibles that we have today. And if they say a word means something and you think it means something else, you're wrong. Everybody's wrong. There's actually meanings. Words have meanings. Just like your Spanish teacher will tell you. Just like your French tutor will tell you there. Ned knows what some of these words mean. And, um, but we somehow we just think it's open to interpretation. Next time someone says, well, I have so many interpretations, stop them in their tracks and just kind of politely shut it down. You know, um, But... 
But anyways, that's going on all around us. And we need to make sure... Now, sometimes it's easy to say, someone says, oh, the Bible has all this interpretation, and maybe they're not following Christ, maybe they don't know God, and we're just kind of like, I can't believe you say that. But then we turn around often as Christians. You know what we do? We read this Bible and we go, you know what that means to me? Here's what it means to me. And someone will share something and you go, oh my gosh, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you had God's Spirit. Sometimes we get into this moral relativism ourselves as Christians. I think about them. A verse here you can write down is 2 Timothy 2.15. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor, Timothy. This is what he tells this pastor who was instrumental in the early Christian church. He tells this pastor this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He's telling this pastor, Make sure you're one of those that handles this properly. That's what he told Timothy. Now how much more do you think that applies to you and I who are not Timothy? Who are not included in the New Testament? If he's told to make sure you handle that correctly, sometimes I think we we go like this. I'm a Christian now. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've read the one-year Bible I don't know how many times. Um, So whatever I think it says, that's what it must mean. Or here's the situation I'm in and here's the verse I read. Well, to me, this is what it means. Men and women, that's, that would be, uh, that thinking's an error. And we've got to make sure we handle this word correctly. And one of the ways we do that is to realize just as God put people in their lives to help them understand how to live it out, how to apply it, God has done the same thing for the New Testament church. Um, you know, we need to understand that said they were, the book of Acts says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, sometimes we just go, oh, they were devoted to the Word. You know, the apostles' teaching was the apostles were helping people understand the Scriptures in light of the Christ who was prophesied to come, the Christ who fulfilled Scriptures, uh, things that were going to come after the Christ, and how to live accordingly. The apostles' teaching was all about interpreting the Scriptures rightly, correctly. And we need to make sure we are doing the same thing. And you have to view, when we read the Bible, you've got to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament through the lens of New Testament teaching. And, and that's what the apostles did. They helped people understand how to live this new life. They didn't say, hey, look, this is the Old Testament Jewish life, and now you're going to live a New Testament Jewish life. That wasn't it at all. They, they helped them understand what applied today. And you know what? Um, God has the same for us. We need to understand the difference between a command in the Bible and a principle and an example and history and personal application. Sometimes we'll look at something and we'll just go, well, here's what it means to me. You could be wrong. You might be wrong. Sometimes, you know, I know myself, I've done this, uh, done this as well. I remember one time when I was uh, actually reading through the book of Nehemiah. And I was a young believer and I was... Uh, you know, I was trying to go on staff with our church. And so I took some time to pray and fast. And I was consuming God's Word. I don't know. I probably read a number of books of the Bible during that time. And uh, just, you know, a couple days. But I got to the thing in Nehemiah. And I'm going, it was a verse we read last week. It talked about they completed the wall in 52 days. And I was like, 52 days. I'm going to go raise support. I'm leaving my job at HP to ask people to provide monthly gifts. And maybe 52 days is the number God has for me. And I took it as, this is the situation I'm in. This is what the verse says. And 52 days later, I was still raising support. I was raising support for eight and a half months. But, you know, I thought, hey, hey it's, it's in the context. I was reading, I asked God to speak to me. And 52 days is the number of days it took him to rebuild the wall. And that's history. That's a fact. Now, if you want to go take, well, I'm applying God's word to my life. 
Well, maybe look for a real clear-cut command. Like, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor, um, share the good news with the lost. There's some of them that are clear-cut, there's some that are principled, there's some that are examples. We can can look at this example in Nehemiah, and we can apply certain things uh, through the the New Testament lens here. History, we've got to watch out for things that were specifically fulfilled in history that might not be true of us. Uh, We've got to watch out for personal applications that are just kind of taking it like, you know, it's like some sort of magic book, and I flip to a page, and that's what God wanted me to, you know, apply to my day, maybe. Maybe not, but God has placed um, people in our lives and the, the Bible is designed to be lived out in community. It wasn't like, you know, it's like you get your own book, go do your own thing. The New Testament specifically is laid out in community. That's what local churches are. They're places where you can try to follow Christ together, try to understand His Word together. And as a matter of fact, God's even put specific people to help you understand the Scriptures in your community, in your church environment. And we have to realize that. Sometimes we go, oh, I think we should do this. You know, we find a verse and we think everyone should follow us into that verse. Maybe you should check with the pastor on that. Um, God has placed pastors, you know, their job is to make sure there's sound doctrine going on. Make sure that things that are going on that we read from the Bible don't create division. You know, there's to protect people from uh, pride, pride, arrogant thinking, things that can happen when we start, well, here's what it says to me. You know, I think about Paul, he wrote to the Corinthians church at one point, and, and this church recorded in the New Testament, you know, it was recorded, it's there, but they did some really dumb things. And they're on record. But one of the things they did is one saying, I follow, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. And other people are like, I don't follow people at all. I follow Christ. I'm one of the special ones, you know. But it created this huge division. They're all trying to follow God in some sense. But it was a big, huge mess because they were all doing it on their own. And Paul had to come in there and clean house and say, here's what these scriptures mean. Here's how you're uh, to apply gifts to your local church setting. Here's how you're supposed to love. And, and he had to set them straight in that local community. You know? And I think we have to watch for that sometimes. There's so much we live in a day and age of technology. You can get a good teaching off the web from all over the planet. But what happens sometimes if you take someone's teaching from over here and someone's teaching from over there and you're going to apply it right here, you could cause problems. You could actually create division and disunity and quarrels and pride and factions and all the things that Paul wrote about. So God has placed people in local churches and community settings to help people understand, help people to live them out together in a united way. Because what they might be doing in another church uh, might not work in this church. It might not create unity. Or what they're doing over here, and if you kind of take and pick and choose it can create a real mess. And so we just have to watch out. We need to make sure that we're men and women who correctly handle the Word of God, understand the Bible. Um, and the last one here is, uh, is this one. You know, and this one might be, boy, one of the most basic of all. If we're going to take a test, here, probably everyone would know the answer to this. But here's the example that we read that they did. They found written in the law that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. So the people went out and got branches and they built themselves booths. And it goes on to say, and their joy was very great. But when you read the Bible and we have a correct understanding of it, it's really designed to to obey, to put into action, to put into action in our relationship with God. And... Um, and that's what they did, and through that they experienced great joy. You know, so to awaken God's joy and blessing in your life, obey God's word. And again, that that may seem too simplistic. It may seem pretty basic. If you've heard a teaching from the Bible at all, you've probably heard something about obeying God's word, right? 
right? It can, you know, the, the problem with that is that it's probably one of the easiest teachings, uh, one of the easiest messages to go, been there, done that. Uh, I heard that before. I did that once, like when I was a new Christian. Uh, I've done that before. I've been there, done that. Is your heart good for today? You've been there, done that today. Um, God's Word is designed to be lived out over and over again. I think about this example here. You know, it's been really easy for them to say, okay, we're reading about booths. We've got these nice houses we've just built. We've moved into our houses. But let's go put a bunch of branches up and make a tent. Sounds like a bad idea to me. Doesn't sound very comfortable. Doesn't sound very fun. They went and they did it anyways because it's what God said. And what was the result? Their joy was very great. They did it. They put it into action. And it was a huge blessing for doing that. And they could have, you know, could have easily said, hey, look, guys, uh, that's an old school thing to remember, a token of the wilderness or something. Let's just move on to new things. This is like the, the postmodern era. That's, that's an old school true thing there. Um, but we need to obey old truths today as well. You know, a couple places Jesus said this specifically, and maybe this was in uh, one year Bible reading today, um, in, in John 13, he's telling them about, okay, I'm, I am teacher and Lord, and I've just washed your feet, and now you've got to go do the same thing. And then he finishes that whole passage that says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You know, we know so much. We know many things from the Bible, but the blessing comes from when you do them. And, you know, he could have said, now that you know these things, you're just going to be blessed all the time because you know it, you heard that teaching, you were there when I actually washed the feet. Now, now great, you're good for, good for the rest of your life. But he said, now, now that you know these, every time you do this, you're going to be blessed. Every time you serve somebody, every time you wash somebody's feet, every time you love one another, every time you do the things that he talks about, you're going to walk in a blessing. There's going to be a real joy there. I don't know if you've ever felt stagnant in your walk with God. Maybe you feel stagnant right now. Maybe it's time to get back to the basics and do that. You know a lot of things. You know, if we were to download what any one of us knows from the Bible, it would be a lot. But if we compare that to what, what you did yesterday, it might not be that much. Um, but these guys, they applied it, even making a tent and sleeping out in the yard, and they experienced great joy. There's a blessing that comes from that. You know, I think a, an example for me is just kind of interesting, this passage here, uh, you know, where Jesus was washing feet. This semester at campus, our campus meeting, we, uh, we got a little crazy, and we decided to read chapter 13 of John on Good Friday. Oh, Good, good Thursday. Um, the day before Good Friday there. But uh, Thursday was the day when they actually did the Last Supper and then Jesus did wash their feet. So we were at our Thursday meeting. We are going, well, Good Friday is tomorrow. We know what happens then, but why don't we do a little Good Thursday action? And so I brought some containers for water. I brought some antibacterial soap and we got together and we washed one another's feet. And you know what? I, I hadn't done that in years, but I want to let you know I was blessed by that. I was blessed by washing another person's feet, having them wash my feet. We all kind of agreed, those that did the feet washing, they kind of agreed it's much harder to have someone wash your feet than it is to wash theirs. There's a humility required there. Except for Kayla, I think, said it was hard to wash someone. Someone said it was hard to wash someone else's feet, but most of us are like, they're not kidding. But the point was, we put it into practice, and we talked about, hey, look, so, so don't go home and just take some water out and wash your roommate's feet. I mean, there, you can do that practically and literally. The idea was to do something that, that speaks love, that serves another. Um, and, and in that situation, I think washing your feet, it does qualify. It is kind of a humbling sort of deal, but it might be even more humbling to 
to do the dishes at your house when someone else left a mess. Might be more humbling to take out the trash when that's not your job. It might be washing somebody's feet to mow the lawn and you're not on the rotation right now. But there's ways we can wash feet today. And I encourage you to try something that you've known from the past. Try it today and see if you're not blessed by it. Because these guys were. And I love how it says, you know, it could have said it, and it, it turned out pretty good for them. And boy, they had fun in the booth. You know, earlier it says they had great joy. This one says they had very great joy. And you want more joy in your life. You know, I love how Nehemiah reminded them at one point. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you see through the process, he went from the joy of the Lord is their strength. Later on it says they had great joy. Then it says they had very great joy. My hope in all of this is that you and I would have an awakening of sorts. Awakening more joy, great joy from God in our lives as we apply His Word to our lives. Just a quick summary on that again of what we covered here. We need to expose ourselves more to God's Word. Um, We need to have a soft and sensitive heart. We need to have a reverence for the Word of God. We need to correctly handle the Word of God. And then once we've got a correct understanding, we need to put it into action again. Been there, done that, and I'm doing it again. And it was awesome. And there's a great joy to that. And if you want more joy in your life, you want more encouragement, I encourage you to apply these things. Try them out. Try them out today and see if you don't have a, a little extra joy in your day that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for bringing us together here. Lord, we thank you for the example, even from the Old Testament, of of really an awakening to you, to the joy that you can bring, to your blessing. God, I pray that we can learn uh, from their example, the example of those people. Lord, there's so much we can learn from that, even in a New Testament relationship we have with you, based on grace through faith. And um, Lord, I just pray you'd help us to grow. I pray you would quicken each one of our hearts, Lord, that our hearts would be responsive to you and we would be exposed to your word more. Lord God, I just pray that you would help each one of us. Help us to have a greater reverence for your word in this world that's trying to drag your word down. Lord, help us to correctly understand your word, even uh, to subject ourselves to the, the Bible teachers you placed in our community, in our church. Lord God, help us to, to humbly uh, and unitedly live out your word. And, and God, I just pray you'd help us to simply obey it again and again and again. And that we would also, like these people, that we would have very great joy. We just pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for, for joining us this morning. And I hope we catch you Wednesday night at house churches for uh, some fun night activities there. And we'll see you next week with Nehemiah chapter 9. Thanks.